excited to wrap up this series, Legacy, and uh, I always am so surprised by the way that God just continues to reveal himself uh, through the idea of generosity and just the way that we look at our lives. And, you know, Legacy is so in the hearts and on the minds of every person. Uh, you know, I begin to notice, um, I was listening to uh, somebody talk about um, uh, movies. Uh, the Frozen 2 movie came out, and I forget who the directors are or whatever, and they use the word legacy often. So in your legacy of Frozen, it's a cartoon. <laughs> and I love Disney more than anybody else here. Well, maybe besides my wife. But, but I love me some Disney. But, I mean, to use the word legacy about a cartoon, right? And then you're watching the football games, and those of you whose teams are still worth watching – um, but anyway, you're watching these games, and then they're saying the legacy of this quarterback and that kind of thing. And you're like, yeah, you're chasing a football, right? And I love football as much as anybody else, but you start to talk about what true legacy is. I'm talking about eternal. I'm talking about something that lives on beyond us. Statistics are great, and movies are great, and yes, those carry on, and people watch them for generations. But how many you know it's not forever and ever and ever? Heaven and earth, and the scripture says earth will pass away. But the things that we do for God now are forever. It's eternal. Literally, every decision we make is either bankrupting hell and, and advancing heaven, or it's, or it's the other way. I mean, there really is no middle. I wish we could say, well, you can have a season of coast, and you can just go. No, every decision we make is some kind of seed. And the enemy loves to do a good job, and I want to speak just a little bit about this. The enemy loves to do a good job telling people that their season uh, of influence or effect is over. Like, oh, you've lived a lot, you know, or you've lived, a, or you've made too many mistakes that you can't, you can't get out of that. You're never going to be able to do anything significant. But how many times in scripture did God, did God look down on somebody and say, what have you got? What's in your hand? I mean, if we looked up, I didn't take the time to, to do it, but how many times did even scripture, does God literally look at somebody and say, hey, what's in your hand? whether it be a staff or a weapon or a whatever it may be, God's looking at, what do you got right now? I don't care where you came from or what age you are. What's in play right now? And if you're willing to sow that, God will reap you something. Amen. So that's what we're going to talk about, really, only for the next kind of 20 minutes. And uh, it's just this legacy of, of what do you have? And what, what can God do with it? And, and we trust a God that, that he does more than we can ask or think. But it all starts by taking what we have and sowing it, putting it in the ground. Are you with me? So legacy offering, we see that there's three kinds of giving. Uh, just a little kind of bit of recap. You've heard this before. But we see in Scripture, Pastor Robert Morris teaches, teaches us this, and, and, and we've kind of run with it. Three kinds of giving. We see a tithe, we see an offering, and we see an extravagant gift given in Scripture. And these extravagant gifts, I love how Pastor Robert Morris says, you could also call the extravagant gift uh, a painful offering. Because <laughs> those are the big ones that, you know, he talks about how you give them, they kind of hurt a little, like, ah, oh, those extravagant ones. But we've seen those three kinds. And so as Christ followers, we want all three of those in play. We want to be tithers who put God first consistently. But then we also want to be people, as things happen in our life, we want to be able to give offerings. But then we also want to be in seasons where we sit down and we say, okay, God, what are you calling me to do in a, in a sacrificial, maybe even extravagant type way that I'm saying less of me, more of you. Amen. And that's what this miracle offering is for this church where we say God has blessed us so well and he's so faithful and so consistent to us. But we also know that God calls us to sacrificial giving. Even as a church, we put ourselves in seasons where faith 
is we're stepping out of the boat. Are you with me? Now, we operate in faith all throughout the year in every single thing that we do. But if God is calling us from glory to glory and faith to faith, that takes us stepping into seasons and saying, okay, God, you got to do all, right? And it's that way every single day. But this, the, we say, hey, let's all come together and do this. And so with this miracle offering, we always take a step out of the boat towards something bigger than normal operations. It's not like, hey, this year we just really feel like uh, we want to give the staff raises. Amen. Anybody in the front row? <laughs> we want to go staff raise. It's never going to go to another hire. Hey, we really want to hire this person. Hey, we just really feel like we want to switch to this kind of printer paper this year. And it's never going to be it's always going to be, what's God's next step? And so expansions, and we open outreach centers, and we launch all these other kind of things. Because why? We want God to knock down walls and open doors through our generosity. Amen. And so that's what it's always gone to. But if I was you, I would be sitting in this room being like, I wonder what the structure looks like. And if you're uh, a good vertical um, attender and, uh, and, you're, and you're more saved, uh, than the others. Uh, the reason I would say that is because you came to an interest meeting. And so you would know some of this data. For those of you that came to the interest meeting, uh, you know, you're like a five-star vertical attender. Uh, if you haven't come to one yet, then this will be new news to you. But there's this structure that we share. And the reason I want to share it right now is because if I was you considering giving maybe a significant amount to the church or God put something on your heart, I would want to know what's the structure, what's the stability, what's the foundation? Because the, you know, the scripture says, if you're faithful in little, God gives you more. If we're unfaithful with things, God won't increase us. Are you with me? And so a structure was something that was very important to us when we launched this church. From day one, we literally wrote into our bylaws this financial accountability percentage breakdown. Um, there was some resource uh, study done uh, by ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which we're a part of. And I realize I'm boring some of you right now, but I'll, I'll get you back in just a minute. But they did some research, and they found that these categories provided uh, the best foundation and the healthiest church structure uh, among churches that were growing and remaining and advancing. And so um, these are the percentages in which we spend the money that comes into this church. And, uh, and here's what it looks like. We spend 35% on staff. So 35% of what comes in uh, to the church, only 35% of it gets spent on staff. Now, the national average is somewhere in the 50% range. So you can do all kinds of research about what staffs are paid. Uh, they found that of churches that were somewhere in the 35% range, um, they, they were really healthy. Here's why. Many of you have had this experience. You've been to a church where they had a huge staff, just a really bloated staff. Uh, I'm not talking personally bloated. I'm talking like. <laughs> but, you, but they had this, this, this staff, and then they had no money to minister. They, they couldn't do outreaches. They couldn't connect. They couldn't say yes to the things that were put in their life because they had basically such a large payroll in the staff. And so what happened here is they did the research and they said 35% seemed to be a really good number. And so we went with that and we locked that in. We will never spend more than 35% on, on our staff budgets. Now, here's the thing. Uh, many churches, they get in voting and trouble and all kinds of issues. Why? Because they want to hire a person or they want to do this with this person or bring, and then this vote. I mean, guess what? We don't have to bicker. We don't have to fight. Why? Because whenever God uh, is calling us to hire somebody or put something into play, wouldn't you be surprised that there's always room in that 35%? Isn't that amazing how God just honors that? And so we love it. It's been awesome for us as a church. Same thing, 35% spent on facility. 
So for us, uh, when, when we're ready to say yes to some more space or we're trying to make a decision about what we want to spend on, on rent or expansion, same thing. Uh, they would see, and maybe you've been at a church where, uh, again, the national average can sometimes fall into the 50% of the income is going toward a building. Uh, I know some of you uh, have had this experience with me uh, because I was at another church with you, but you got into a situation where the church was spending so much money on just the building that they had no money to minister. Hey, we'd love to do this, but we just don't have money because we got this, this huge building and we're spending all this money on, on light bills and all this kind of stuff. And so the money, and then they had this mindset of, oh, if we just build it, people will come. So they spent all this money on building this building and thought people would come and then people didn't come and then they didn't have money to minister. How many know what I'm talking about? So same thing for us here. Wouldn't you know that every time space became available in this church and we said, hey, it's looking like God's wanting us to expand and take more space. We're able to look at our percentage and go, hey, wouldn't you know we have enough room because God's so faithful and he's always amazing in that way. Amen. Another thing that this church does is it tithes. Uh, sadly, uh, in this current church world um, sort of business, if you will, in church business, all this strategy, uh, sadly, many churches, they don't pay a 10% out of what comes in. They don't tithe as a church. And then uh, as I've connected and, and, and got to know other ministries, I've also seen where some people will say 10% of what they're tithing to me is not even a tithe. They're calling their marketing tithing. Well, that Facebook ad was an outreach to people, so we're going to call that missions. No. Well, those flags we put out at the street, people see that, and it calls, calls them into the church, and so that's like an outreach. That's like missions. No. Are you with me? And so that, that's not what we do either. We do more than 10% by the end of the year, but 10% of what comes in goes back out to things like, Pastor Tommy, you saw Souls for Christ, we sow into. You also know ARC, the Association of Related Churches. We plant churches. Literally, we're a part of hundreds of churches planted a year through this tithe that we do as a church. The Radiant Network is something we're connected to in Kalamazoo. Again, planting churches this year. They're also starting a school of ministry, downtown Kalamazoo. Guess what? Vertical Church is literally financially a part of that. Why? Because as a church, we tithe outside of our connections uh, in our normal budget. Am I making sense? Uh, so we believe in it. God's called uh, us as believers to it. He's also called the, his body of Christ to it. And so the last 20% is what we get to spend on printer paper. 20% is our operations. And so our ministry budget is 20%, the things that we get to do and purchase and all the different things that you see uh, happen around here. And so 20% of it goes to that. And so the reason I bring that up is to say this. We believe that we have a structure because we've seen it now for six whole years. We've seen a structure that we've been faithful with that God increases. Every single year as a church, we've grown numerically and we've grown financially. Why? Because God blesses, I believe, healthy structure. Are you with me? And so if you're considering sowing a seed, this is such a church thing to say. But I do believe this is good ground. Can I get an amen? Yeah. It's good ground. And so, again, as God is praying, as you're praying and God is speaking, I believe that when you put that seed in the, in the ground, you're going to be able to see increase um, because, again, it's good ground. I love this. Here's what we do as a church is we believe that it's important for us to put ourselves in situations of the impossible. Why? Because impossible is where God starts and miracles are what God does. Isn't that true? And again, this is kind of a sermon on legacy, but I want you to think of it in your life. 
What in your life do you need to step into the impossible? Because it's where God starts and it's what God does, the impossible in our life. So as much as I'm talking about legacy, I want us to begin to consider what that means in our life. And so for us, you may be sitting here and going, well, last year we raised over $100,000. This year we need $85,000 or $80,000, $85,000. Certainly we're going to be able to do that easily. Well, can I tell you something? The national average miracle offering based on our percentage, this year we're actually aiming to do that by three times. (laughs) So we're still in impossible territory. We're still saying, hey, God, we're, we're believing for you to do the impossible through this church. Are you with me? I don't want us to look at past numbers and say, well, look at that. That was easy. No, it was God. It wasn't easy. It was God. Are you with me? It's God who makes it look easy. And so we're looking at about a three times the national average miracle offering for our percentages. But I believe that God can do it. Amen. And here's why when it comes to sacrificial giving and just the way God's called us to live. God doesn't call us to comfort. He's called the comforter. He puts us in situations where I say, oh, that's going to be a little painful. That's going to be a stretch. God, that's going to be a thing. And then along the way, stop it. Don't worry. I'm with you. I'm the comforter. Isn't that amazing? He's the comforter. We say, well, no, that doesn't apply to me. I don't don't have to be stretched. I don't have to walk in faith because I've been such a good steward for so many years. I've gone to church and my kids went to Christian school and I pray and I pay my tithe and and I minister to people and I'm really in a really righteous place. God doesn't really need to stretch me anymore. I'm kind of already killing it. Well, what about Noah? Noah's living his life and the word says about him that he's blameless among the people, the most righteous in all the land. And then God calls him to the most sacrificial season of his life ever. Are you with me? So just because you say, no, I'm in a good place with God. God's not calling more of me. No, he's always calling us into more. Amen. We always say this in this. We say any generation that is unwilling to sacrifice reduces the inheritance of the next generation. It's good to write down because it applies to more than just legacy. Any generation that is unwilling to sacrifice reduces the inheritance of the next generation. What areas of your life are you willing, you're unwilling to sacrifice? God's calling you to this and calling you saying, no, God, I'm good. I want comfort. I'm not. You're reducing the inheritance of the next generation if you're not willing to sacrifice. Altars still have a purpose in America. Are you with me? That's why the scripture says this. Tomorrow is promised to no man. We always use that as a great altar call, right? Oh, be careful. You never know what's going to happen when you leave tomorrow. But we say it like this. If we don't plant today, we can't harvest tomorrow. How silly is it? Some of you farmer people, my my locals here. How how silly would it be literally for a farmer to decide, yeah, I don't feel like I don't feel like planting this season. I don't feel like stepping out and putting in anything in the ground. And then all of a sudden you come out there at harvest season. You go, wonder what I got. Well, you got nothing because you didn't plant. If we don't plant, we don't harvest. It's literally a principle that God put in place. I heard it, uh, Banning Leapshire was talking about it this week, a pastor of Jesus Culture Church in Sacramento. He literally was explaining it like this. Uh, He was saying, we all believe that God is our creator. He created us on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. We all know that. And your creator, your designer creates you with the function in mind. Did that make sense? So God is saying, this is how I've created you to function as your creator. Just like this microphone. I have to turn the switch on for it to do its thing. The creator said, this is the function to get the result. 
We're going to read it here in just a second. But Galatians tells us that our creator said, hey, do you want to harvest? Do you want to reap in your life? Do you want blessing? Do you want abundance? Do you want more? The creator is saying, I know how to get you that. This is how I've created for you to get a harvest. Sow a seed. God, I just want you to bless me. God, I want you to move. God, I want you to. And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, I'm your creator. Here's how you do that. Sow a seed. Sow a seed. There's no other way. Because the creator said, what you sow is what you reap. This is how we get it. Are you with me? I feel like you don't like me right now, but this is what we, Galatians 6, 7 in the New International Version says, do not be deceived. God is not, God cannot be mocked or God is not mocked. So the scripture is saying like this, this is what it is. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. This is the way that this thing works. There's no shortcuts. There's no jokes you can pull on God. This is how we get the harvest. How do we get the harvest? It says, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And I don't want you to think about eternal life as just heaven, even though it applies here. It's saying this, if you sow of the flesh, if every decision is made about worldly stuff, need to get this, need to get that, I want this, I want that. If we're sowing of the flesh, all of those things become destruction. Like we don't even have to argue this scripture. We know that. Stuff rusts and rots and wrecks. If you have kids, it wrecks quicker. How many are with me? <laughs> I told you last week, we, we moved the car seats out of my truck. We made another terrible mistake this week. One of the couch cushions got flipped up and we all just ran. We have a one and a half year old. We didn't know what was coming out of there. We did find one of the dogs, though. That was good. We got that dog there. But stuff gets wrecked. Stuff gets wrecked. So when we just sow of stuff here, stuff here, stuff here, stuff here, it's for no good. But when we say, Spirit of God, tell me what I should sow into that's of your spirit. That is everlasting, not just in eternity, but even here and now. The seeds that are put in people are forever. Are you with me? I love what William James says. The great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. The great use of our life is to spend this life for something that will outlast it. Only 4% of churches are reproducing or multiplying. The average church is 70 people and declining. Do you know that you're literally a part of a miracle because you're a part of this church, a vertical church? We're a church that's growing and multiplying and expanding. That's why we're launching a bus ministry. Go ahead and throw that up there, guys. That's why we're going to do it. This right here will be how we're not going. We're going to get out of a category. of Only 4% of American churches are reproduces and multiplying. Well, not us. We're going ye into the highways and byways to reach people. Are you with me? But it's going to take great sacrifices. I love this quote. We've shared it in years past. It says this. Churches that make an impact are more, more focused on putting boots on the streets than people in the seats. Let's get out and reach people and love on people and make connections. Why? Because God's called us to multiply. Go ye. Are you with me? So that Galatians 6, 7, I love it in the Passion Translation. It says this. It says, make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked. For what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant the corrupt seeds of self, 
life into the natural realm, you can expect and experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant the good seeds of spirit life, you will reap beautiful fruits that grow from everlasting life of the spirit. Our heart's desire is to see healthy and beautiful things and growth, right? Nobody's favorite part, maybe some of you weirdos who like winter. <laughs> the, the, the hope's over here. Uh, right? You guys love you some snow and some, it snowed two weeks ago and Sam and Maddie were like, come in the office, look at all this snow. And I was just in my office praying against it, binding, rebuking. <laughs> but there's nobody that goes out on their porch and sees their summer flowers wilting is like, oh, this is my favorite part. Come gather around. We just got to sit out here and enjoy the wilting. No, they don't. Trust me. They don't. Everybody's like, do they? No, they don't. They don't. <laughs> you guys were doing some ugly stares over here. Uh, Nobody does that. Why? Because we like to see things grow. We like to see progress and beauty and things come. That's what the scripture is talking about. You were created to be a person who sows and see the abundance of the spirit life. Are you with me? So why does the enemy do such a good job at trying to get us to spend on things that die? Why? Because it's going to block generationally if we waste on corruption, isn't it? We've got to get the next thing and the next best thing. God's calling us to sow of the spirit. I love this. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. What's in your hand? God's waiting for you to sow so that he can add reaping. Amen. I'll close with this. I shared it a couple weeks ago. But many people, uh, they, churches are faced with the temptation of making the great commission the great omission. Uh, they've left it out. They do a great job having study and worshiping and connecting and doing fellowship. But the great commission of go out and reach the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, discipling them. That part, many times in many churches get left out. Why? Because they're just busy with the little blessing club. But it will not be what's said about vertical. I thought about this. A life, Mother Teresa said this, we, we share at every legacy. A life not lived for others is not a life. Amen. A life not lived for others is really not good living. How many of you know your favorite seasons are when you get to give and make an impact and connect with somebody and speak that life over them? Why? Because a life lived for others, that's good living. Amen. I love this. The decisions we make today determine the stories we tell tomorrow. The goal isn't to live forever. It's to create something that will. That's what happens through generosity and putting God first in our giving and sowing into things like this legacy. We're saying yes to things. I love this. What we build in our name doesn't last forever, but what we build for his name does. I didn't put this in my notes, but I feel like sharing it. I've had so many people come to me. Back to this first point. The goal isn't to live forever. It's to create something that will. You have no idea how these buses are going to reach somebody, connect with somebody that will change eternity. I know that's so cliche. But in our Purpose Driven Life class, we just heard on Monday uh, the story of an usher uh, who two young teenagers came into this revival meeting. And uh, this usher who nobody knows 
nobody knows of to this day. It's not a famous usher. There's probably not a statue of this guy somewhere who ushered people at this revival. But two teenagers came in late to this revival and this usher led them to the front row. And that night they got saved. One of those teenagers was Billy Graham. You don't know on this bus. I haven't, haven't said this in this series, but it's pretty likely to say if there wasn't a bus ministry 30 years ago, my mom would have never come to Christ. Her first experience in church, she got picked up by a bus uh, that brought her to what church? Pennelwood Church of God. She went to a church of God. Thank God she got more of God. <laughs> But there's no me. I could put this down and walk away. There's no this. If Pennelwood Church of God didn't send a bus to pick up a bratty, ratty, stubborn Barbara Ruth Reese. Laughter and amens. I don't know what that means for you, Mom. I don't know what that means. But I haven't said that all series. But that's the truth. The goal isn't to live forever. It's to create something that will. And somebody did then, and then mom raised me, and dad raised me, he was there. (laughs) I said it right, didn't I, dad? No, I'm just kidding. But that to this, it's what? It's legacy. I don't know what these buses are gonna do or who they're gonna reach or what it's gonna connect, but it's so much more than what we could spend our money on, a vacation, another car, another kind of thing. We want to send this thing on. Are you with me? That's why 2 Corinthians 9, 7 in the Passion Bible says this. Let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, all because God loves hilarious generosity or cheerful giving. I can't wait to see what this bus does. That's cheerful giving. I can't wait to see the next lineage and legacy that comes from, are you with me? That's cheerful giving. I'm just like, oh, we got to give. I can't wait. I'm not going to miss this, right? That's how we have to come at this these next several weeks is that hilarious giving. We've said this every week, but 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves that cheerful giver. Somebody excited to give. Don't do it because mom on a bus and legacy and the church and we show don't give for any of those reasons don't be don't be like you know talked into giving give from a place of your heart is so eager and excited to see what god is going to do through it amen and then my last point is this and we've said it every week many pastors say hey give your best Uh, just pray and give your best i'm not even asking you to give your best i'm asking you to give obedience whatever god puts on your heart to give give that pray and ask God and seek him and what he would tell you to do, give that. Let's give obediently to what God puts on our heart to give. Are you with me? And it'll work. It'll always work. It always does because God's faithful and just. Amen.